Genesis 25. And we're in the final week, week three of the message series that's labeled on the front of my shirt, No Perfect People Allowed. We're spending three Sundays looking at three individuals in the Bible who had issues. They had personal junk that they felt disqualified them from being used by God or even having a promising worthwhile future. But God came and did something in their lives, did something in their issues, and changed their entire future. And as we read that, we're going to be encouraged as we see ourselves in these stories. And so this morning, every single one of us falls into one of two categories. One, we need our faith to be encouraged. Two, we know somebody who needs their faith encouraged. And so whichever category you fall into, maybe it's both. I want to encourage you to lock into this so that you can pass it on to somebody else so that you can preach it back to yourself when you need to hear it again. And our story is going to begin today with a man named Isaac who was the very special son of a man named Abraham. Let's turn to Genesis 25. We're going to start in verse 21. It says, Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, couldn't have kids, And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now just skip down to verse 24. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. So the first baby comes out. He is a hairy dude. We got a baby Sasquatch right here. And so they call him Esau, which just means hairy. Very creative naming right here. No seeming concern for how embarrassing that would be when he's 13 years old, but they just name him Harry. And as Esau is being born, as he's coming out his mom, the hand of the next baby is holding on to the heel of Esau. And so that kid who won't let go of his brother's heel is named Jacob, which means supplanter. Well, what does supplanter mean? Well, supplanter just means layer of snares, layer of traps. In other words, trickster, deceiver, trap setter, someone who is going to constantly get ahead by any means necessary. And in the Bible, names are very, very significant. They tend to speak of a person's character prophetically, And they also speak prophetically of their destiny. They tell you something about them. Apparently Esau's parents didn't really buy into that theory when they named him Harry. But the name Jacob is a lot more significant. It's a lot more prophetic. It's a lot more weighty. This name Jacob is a destiny that is spoken over this boy from the time that he is born. He would have heard it his whole life. And I'm sure anytime he did something sneaky or tricky or deceptive, someone would say something like, that's just Jacob being Jacob. It might have been funny for some, but I'm sure that as he aged, it became a burden to him. When something needed to be done that required someone trustworthy, the joke would always be, well, we can't go with Jacob. Can't go with Jacob. Can't feel good to be called that your whole life. So what does Jacob do? Well, Jacob does what I think most people do when they're given a label or identity they feel they can't escape. They live up to it. More more accurately, they, they live down to it. They embrace it, they accept it, and they view it as destiny. I guess this is just who I am and who I'm gonna be in my life. They feel it's unavoidable fate. So let's read verse 27. It says, So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. 
And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Dad loved Esau because he brought him meat. I get it. Mom loved Jacob because he was always around the home. He was a mama's boy. Verse 29, it says, Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field. He's been out hunting all day, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. Esau gets a second name here. He begins to be called Edom, which just means red. And we'll come back to that in a minute. Now, I need to explain what a birthright is. The birthright is something that would be given from a father to the oldest son, the firstborn son in the family. By seconds, Esau was firstborn ahead of Jacob. So the birthright of their family belonged to Esau. It was destined for Esau. And that birthright would amount to a double inheritance, a double portion of the inheritance, double what the next brother or every other brother would get. And he would also become the family's spiritual leader when his father died. It was a really, really big deal. Verse 31, but Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said impulsively, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob for stew. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. That sentence just means selling his birthright, something that important for Stu, showed that he despised it. He didn't take it seriously. He didn't value it in any way. Esau's name changes to Edom, and now his identity becomes tied to the worst, most impulsive, foolish decision he's ever made in his life. In the Bible, Esau is a picture of the flesh. In other words, he's a picture of what it means to choose your will over the things of God. And that's what he does right here. He treats his birthright, the future role of pastor, to his entire family as though it's worth no more than a bowl of stew. That momentary feeling and craving in his flesh is stronger in him than his desire for godly, spiritual, meaningful things. And he makes a terrible, foolish, impulsive decision. What do we see Jacob doing here? Tragically, we see Jacob simply living down to his name. He can sense an advantage. He can sense an opportunity. And he jumps all over it, seemingly powerless to stop himself from living out his destiny because he does something that will inevitably eventually destroy his family and sever his relationship with his brother forever. That's the only outcome to this. It's not, it's not going to go well. And yet knowing that, he dives into it and does it anyway because he can't help being who he is at this point. He's a deceiver, and his name, Jacob, seems to dictate his future. Let's turn to Genesis 27, if you would. Flip over to Genesis 27, and we'll start in verse 1. Our next interaction where we see Jacob at work living down to his name. Genesis 27, 1, it says, Now it came to pass when Isaac was old, so when the dad is old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, his eyesight's failing, that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. I could die at any minute. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow. Go out to the field and hunt game for me, and make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Isaac says to Esau, I'm about to die. 
but I think I have time for one more barbecue. Can you hook me up? When you hook me up with the sweet culinary delight, I will give you my blessing because I will never love you more than when you have put steak in my mouth. He says, I'm going to give you the special spiritual blessing that I've been saving for my firstborn son, the next spiritual leader of our family. Verse 5, it says, Now Rebekah, the mom, was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. So two things. One, we know where Jacob gets this trickery from. We know where he gets it from. It's mom's fault. Secondly, how jacked up is this family? Really, really jacked up, like reality TV show jacked up. Let's continue in verse 11. It says, And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself, not a blessing. So Jacob's objection isn't, you know, it seems really wrong to exploit dad as he's dying. He's only concerned that mom's plan isn't good enough. She hasn't really thought it through. He says, listen, if we're going to do deception, let's do deception right. There's no conscience in Jacob. He will trick and deceive his own dying father. That's how far gone he is. That's how much his conscience has been suppressed by repeatedly living in a lifestyle of deception and manipulation of others. Verse 13, but his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, get them for me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Can we just pause for a second here again to just take in how far gone Jacob is gone at this point in his life. He thinks nothing of name-dropping God using the name of God to manipulate his own dying father in his final days on his deathbed. How did you do this? Oh, God gave me favor. It's pretty low, pretty low. He really is the embodiment of his name at this point. Verse 21 Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. 
He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So we brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also had made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came and I have blessed him. And indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me also, O father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, you might want to underline, is he not rightly named Jacob? And at this point in his life, the answer is obviously yes. Isn't he rightly named Jacob? His name is who he is. Esau continues speaking and says, for he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he's taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you now therefore my son obey my voice arise flee to my brother Laban in Haran and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away I'm sure a few days will fix all this until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets yeah that's going to happen what you have done to him then I will send and bring you from there why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day as we said earlier, anyone with a lick of common sense and half a brain would have been able to figure out that this outcome was inevitable. When you're the mama's boy, you don't tick off your older brother, who's an athletic hunter dude, killing things for fun all day, and think, I'm sure this will end well. I'm sure we'll be laughing about this by the evening. Nothing a couple of bottles of wine won't fix. This is the most likely scenario. That's why no prophet has to show up and tell him this is a really bad idea. Because this is so, so 
obvious. So why does this happen? Well, it happens because there's this sense of destiny about Jacob's identity, which is wrapped up in his name. Even though he knows his actions will be destructive, he can't help himself. He can't stop himself from doing them. It's like he's programmed that way. And sometimes that's where we find ourselves. We feel like we have this identity, we have this label, and we do things that are destructive, even though they're obviously destructive, but there's the sense that we just can't help ourselves from doing them because this is who we are. And if that's you, then find yourself in the story because you're going to be blessed by how this all turns out. So what happens next is Jacob's mom basically tells Jacob's dad that, hey, there, there's no good woman around here, so I'm going to send Jacob to his uncle Laban because there's some quality, single, eligible woman out there. So let's send him there. He'll find a wife from better stock, and then he'll come back here. And that's all a cover story to hide the fact that Jacob's really fleeing for his life from his brother. So let's flip to Genesis 28 now. Genesis 28.10. Jacob is fleeing on his way to Uncle Laban in Haran. It says, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. He usually does that at night. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. So he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, and you might want to underline, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land and then underline, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So the Lord appears to Jacob in a dream and for the first time he reveals himself to Jacob. So this is your first fill-in. This is the moment of Jacob's salvation. I really believe this is the moment of his salvation. This is the moment he encounters Jesus. He sees Jesus. And in this moment of salvation, the Lord also reveals to Jacob an alternative future, an alternative destiny. When you ask Jacob, how do you think your life is going to turn out? The last way he would have described his most likely future would have been the way the Lord described it. Prosperous, blessed, many descendants, living in peace. He never would have come up with that scenario. But the Lord reveals himself to him and says, Jacob, I have a different future for you. I have a different future for you. The rest of your life, Jacob, doesn't have to be dictated by everything that's happened to you up to this point or by everything you've done up to this point. And Jacob's response is the right one. He essentially says, yes, I'll do that. Thank you very much. But as we're going to find out, that future is not going to be instantaneous. It's going to be a long journey because there's a lifetime of programming that needs to be undone. And unfortunately, sometimes in the church, it's presented as though when you get saved now, everything is better. Everything is awesome all the time. 
And it's just not true. Salvation is instantaneous, but deliverance takes time. God says, I got to move you from where you are to where you need to be. And you've lived an entire life up to this point. You've been programmed a certain way. You have patterns and ways of thinking. And we got to undo all that. Or else if I take you straight to here, you're just going to mess it all up. You're just going to blow it. It would be like driving an automatic your whole life, having no idea how to drive standard, and your first standard is a Ferrari. That's, that's just a sad story. You know, what are you going to do? <laughs> Crash it into the hedge across the street. That's what's going to happen. God says, listen, listen. We've got to take some time. We've got to take you to an empty parking lot first with no lampposts, lots of room to make mistakes. We're going to work you up till you're ready for this. God wants to get Jacob somewhere, but he's going to have to take Jacob on a journey so that Jacob knows what to do with the blessings that the Lord wants to give to him. Verse 16, it says, Then Jacob awoke from his dream and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. There is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God. Now the Lord has to go to work now, doing his work in the life of Jacob. And when God does this, he comes up with a completely customized, tailor-made program for each person, because no two of us are alike. God's program is designed to do one thing, move us from where we are to where we need to be. That can be a hard journey, so write this down. This is the season of Jacob's deliverance. It's the season of his deliverance. He's been saved, the chains have been loosed, and the prison doors are open, but he doesn't yet know how to walk out of the prison. Even though the door is open, even though the chains are off, he's not sure yet how to walk out the prison those old ways of thinking are still part of his prison those thoughts that guilt that shame those habits all part of that prison even though the door is open he needs help to walk out of it and it doesn't happen overnight Jacob reaches the land of his uncle Laban and he moves in with his family now let's flip to Genesis 29 15 Genesis 29 15 it says then Laban his uncle said to Jacob because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? So he's just working with Laban's family. Laban says, listen, you're a family. I should take care of you. What, what can I do for you? What do you want me to pay you for the work you're doing? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. What does a single man want who's working out in the field all day? Now, Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I'll serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. Only really one thing on Jacob's mind. I've worked for seven years and I've been so looking forward to some quality conversation with my life partner. <laughs> Love the honesty of the Bible. Verse 22, And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. 
Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you, and you might want to underline, deceived me? And Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Did I forget to mention that? Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service, which you will serve with me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter Rachel as a wife also, and Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years years. So when they were having this whole wedding seat, uh, ceremony, Leah would have come out with everything covered except her eyes. And even though he describes their eyes as being different, Jacob just doesn't think this is even a possibility. And apparently the lighting is, go, is really low. They uh, consummate the marriage. He wakes up in the morning and it's the wrong sister. The wrong sister. Super awkward on your wedding night. Uncle Laban pulls the old switcheroo on him. So come to think of it, though, doesn't this whole scenario seem strangely familiar? The deception, the disguising, the trickery, the play on words. Jacob, the trickster, is now the one being exploited by his own flesh and blood. And that had to hurt. Maybe you can identify with this. Nothing hurts more than when you are wronged and you realize that you've been wronged in a way that you have wronged others in many times. Because you want to complain, you want to vent, you want to yell, and you realize you have no case. You're a hypocrite if you complain because you've done the same thing to other people. Jacob realized he was simply reaping what he had sown for his whole life. It was just all coming around. And this situation was allowed by the Lord and used by the Lord as part of Jacob's deliverance from his old life by allowing him to be on the receiving end of deception. Write this down. The Lord was making Jacob's old way of life distasteful to him. He was making it bitter to him. Sometimes it's really easy to live in a way that is wrong because it's amazing how we can delude ourselves into telling ourselves, this isn't really hurting anybody. This isn't really affecting anybody else. And God has a way, as he delivers us, of bringing us face to face, one way or another, with the human toll of our sin. The human toll of our sin. One of the greatest lies the devil will tell you is that your sin doesn't affect anybody else. And if you buy into that, he'll make sure that things play out in such a way that you are brought face to face with the effect of your sin on other people. And that's what's going on here with Jacob. God's doing it in the most intense way possible. He's saying, oh, I'm going to bring you face to face with it. I'm going to put you in their shoes, Jacob. And now you come back and tell me if you think this is an effective way to live, if you think this is an effective way to get ahead in life, knowing that this is what you've been doing to other people your whole life. I'm sure Jacob's perspective changed dramatically that day. He was planting in Jacob the seeds of discontent with his previous way of living. So Jacob lived several more years with Uncle Laban and his extended family before 
things go south in that relationship as well, only to be sorted out at the last minute. Jacob ends up leaving Laban's family to set off to find his own land and start his own life with his own independent family story. And that's where Genesis 32 picks up. Let's flick over to that, Genesis 32, and we're going to start in verse 3. Genesis 32, verse 3, it says, Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. So his brother has become big and powerful. The country is now named after him because the country is called Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Say, Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. So Jacob knows sooner or later he's going to cross paths with his brother Esau. This is like that pile of laundry that you just don't want to deal with, but you know sooner or later someone's going to ask for an item of clothing that's in that pile of laundry. That's my life right now. It's the life in our home. It's like, where's the shirt? Oh, man, it's in the pile of laundry. He knows sooner or later his brother is going to come knocking, and they're going to have to deal with this. So what does he do? He, he goes back into his old patterns of thinking, and he thinks, okay, how can I, how can I emotionally manipulate my brother and, and generate some goodwill here? Send him stuff. Everybody loves stuff. So I'll send him some stuff and try and smooth this over. And if things go well, he won't kill me and my whole family. Verse 6, it says, Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He's like, I don't think they're magicians and entertainers. And he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. Jacob is terrified. All, all his old sins are coming back with a vengeance right now in force. And he can't seem to get away from who he was. Just keeps coming back. He believes in God. He believes God has a better future for him. But he's still trying to use his old ways to solve his old problems. In other words, he's still trying to emotionally manipulate people. He's trying to bribe his brother Esau. Verse 9. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Even in that prayer, you can hear he's trying to emotionally manipulate God. He's saying, don't forget what you said, God. Don't you remember what you said? Uh, but you know what, God, it's okay. I'm just your humble servant. But I do wish you would just think of the children. Think of the children, Jesus. Remember what you said. Remember what you said. He's just in this mindset where he just doesn't know how to communicate in a healthy way, even with God. Verse 13, it says, So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 
30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, They are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my lord Esau. And behold, he also is behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. So he's separating the ewes, the rams, the camels, and he's sending them all one gift at a time so that his brother will hopefully be blown away. It's like, you get a new, you get a you, you get a you, and a camel, and a ram, and this, and this, and this, and just on and on it goes. He's thinking, this, this is really going to impress him. This is a pretty, pretty good plan on my part. But write this down. The lifestyle that got you into a mess cannot also provide your escape from that mess. The lifestyle that got you into a mess cannot also provide your escape from that mess. Anybody in here have a positive testimony about a time they got caught lying and things got better when you tried to lie your way out of the lie? That ever work? That, that never, never works. It never works. And that's the principle at work here. Listen, Jacob, you're only in this mess because you manipulated your brother in a moment of weakness. It's not going to work if your plan to fix this is to emotionally manipulate your brother and buy his favor with gifts. It's, it's just not going to work for you. He's still ingrained in his old patterns of behavior because it's still who he is. He's still Jacob. He's in the deliverance process, though. Verse 22 and he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then I want you to underline, then Jacob was left alone. Then Jacob was left alone. So let's recap Jacob's journey. It's a journey towards wholeness. Let's recap what's happened so far. So God has saved Jacob by revealing himself to him. He's revealed a redeemed future to Jacob that is possible through him, through the Lord. God allows Jacob to be on the receiving end of the deception he had so frequently doled out to others. God allowed Jacob to come to the place where he would be forced to recognize that his old ways of living could not fix his life. And then God got Jacob alone. He got him alone, away from everybody for some intense one-on-one -on -one ministry, and we're going to see some intense healing that needed to take place. It continues, and it says, and a man. You might want to underline a man. In your Bibles, it should be an uppercase M, because that man is Jesus. It's a Christophany, an appearance of Jesus in the flesh in the Old Testament before he even had the name Jesus. It says, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. So Jesus shows up in the form of a man, I always wonder how this went down. Does he just walk up and just like spear Jacob without saying anything to him? Does he like jump on his back or something? But he starts wrestling with Jacob, physically, literally wrestling with him. 
And at some point, Jacob realizes who this is. He realizes this is someone holy. This is somehow, some way, the Lord. And they're wrestling. And it says, now when he, God, saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he, Jesus, said, let me go for the day breaks. So obviously Jacob can just destroy, obviously God could just destroy Jacob with a thought. But he allows Jacob to match him in this wrestling contest. So why does Jacob, why does he keep wrestling with God? What's going on? Well, we find out in the next verse, it says, but he, Jacob, said, underline, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And I love that because Jacob is a guy who will do anything to get ahead in life. He still wants the blessing, but now the only blessing Jacob wants is the Lord's blessing. You can write that on your outlines. Now the only blessing Jacob wants is the Lord's blessing. And I love that because God took all of Jacob's misdirected passion, all of his misdirected and corrupt ambition, and he redeemed it. Jacob is still zealous. He's still a go-getter. He's still aggressive, but now he is aggressive for the Lord. He's aggressive wanting to grab a hold of God. That's what his pursuit is right now. And he understands, listen, there's nothing I can do in my life that will work, that will fix the mess I've got myself in. The blessing from you, God, is the one thing that I need, and I have to have it. If I don't get it, I'm done. I'm done. This is over. My brother's probably going to kill me first thing in the morning. He asked the Lord to bless him, and the Lord will bless him. But this is the moment. This is the moment right here coming up that all of the years have been leading up to. Almost 20 years living with his uncle Laban, having to flee from his family. Everything we've read, Jacob can't escape his name and his past. It's all leading up to this. All leading up to this. This name, this identity, Jacob can't get away from. And this is what the Lord does. Verse 27, so he, Jesus, said to him, what is your name? What is your name? And in Jacob's case, the Lord could have just as easily asked him, who are you? Because his name and his identity were one in the same. What Jesus was saying to Jacob is he was saying, confess to me. Who are you? Confess to me. Who are you? And he said, Jacob. I am Jacob. That's who I am. Trickster, deceiver, manipulator, trap setter, supplanter, heel grabber. That's who I am. I confess. That's who I am. Now watch what Jesus does next. Verse 28. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Israel means prince of God. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. The solution to Jacob's identity issues was not realizing the power within. The solution to Jacob's brokenness was not learning to see himself in a different way. The solution to Jacob's brokenness was becoming someone new. 
was being made new, was a new identity. The New Testament says it like this. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Write this down. When Jacob confessed his sin identity to the Lord, he received a new name, identity, and future. When he confessed his sin identity to the Lord, he received a new name, new identity, and a new future. Verse 29, then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Penuel, which means face of God. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. In the next chapter, Jacob and Esau meet face to face. While we don't know what happened from Esau's end, it's clear the Lord did something in his heart towards his brother Jacob, because when they meet, miraculously, he is completely forgiven, Jacob. When they live in peace. This is how Jacob's story ends. Jacob goes on to have 12 sons. Those 12 sons become the namesakes for the 12 tribes of Israel. He is known by the name Israel. He becomes the father of the nation of Israel's 12 tribes. He's the beginning of everything. It goes all the way back to Abraham, but the 12 tribes of Israel start with Jacob. God does something amazing, amazing in his life and completely redeems his future. And for many, many people, maybe this is you this morning, it feels like you were born with, with a label, with an identity. Maybe you are born into a broken home. Maybe you were born into an unhealthy environment. Maybe you were born, and just as far back as you can remember, you had a label. There was a criticism that you just heard over and over and over again, and at some point that just became your identity. Maybe it's something that happened to you at some point in your life some tragedy, some, some violation, some sin on your part, something you got caught up in, some addiction, and you just feel now like that's more than a mistake. That was more than a moment in my life. That's my identity, and everything that has happened to me up to this point and everything that's going to happen to me in my future is related to that, and I can't escape it. I'm just living this thing out beyond my control. God wants to do for you and will do for you what he did for Jacob. Jesus wants to reveal himself to you and show you the redeemed future that's possible for you. Everything's not set in stone. He's the God who holds time in the universe in his hands. He can change anything. And then God wants to deliver you. And that's going to be a process. But God is going to work out a tailor-made plan for your life with one goal. Move you from where you are to where you need to be. And that's a journey. And it's a journey that tragically a lot of people bail out on halfway through. Go and read the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt into the promised land. Why did it take so long? Because they kept bailing on the process. Didn't have to be that long, but they kept bailing on the process. And God was saying, I'm not taking you through the wilderness by accident. I want to do something in you in the wilderness. I want to do something great in your life. I want to grow you. I want to change you in the wilderness. But instead they complained that they were in the wilderness. And God said, listen, you have to go through this before you're going to be ready for the promised land. When you bail on the process, it just starts over again. 
But God wants to do a process in your life that is designed to get you to a good place, to a blessed place. He's broken your chains. He's opened the prison door, but you're going to need some help walking out the prison because it still feels comfortable and familiar. That process kicks into high gear when you begin to confess your sin to the Lord. When you come to God, you wrestle with him and you admit who you really are. When you admit that, when you come to accept that, then you'll be able to grab a hold of him and not let go until he gives you a new name. And you'll begin to realize he's the only one who can change that. He's the only one who can change that. When you confess to him, when you pursue him, when you want his blessing more than anything else in your life, he'll give you a new identity. He'll give you a new future. He'll do it for you just as surely as he did it for Jacob. Just don't let go of him. Don't let go of him. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The solution is a change in identity, becoming something completely new. And then there's this big change. It's not that you never mess up, but suddenly when you mess up, you realize, man, that happened. I did that, but that's not who I am. I was acting contrary to the new nature that Christ has given me. I need to get back here. That's a very different place from saying this is who I really am and I messed up because I'm this. When you become new in Christ, you're able to say I messed up, but that's not who I am. I'm becoming someone different. This is who I'm becoming. This is who I am now. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to pray for you. And the first thing we always want to do is is just give an invitation to any of you who would say, you know, I've never accepted that invitation from Jesus. I've never accepted the invitation to become someone new. That invitation is the invitation the Bible says to die to who you were and become someone new in Jesus. The brokenness of sin at the deepest part of you is something only Jesus can fix, only Jesus can heal. And when you say, Jesus, I want to belong to you, he comes in and he makes you new. And he begins that work of deliverance in your life. And the Bible says you can count on this. He will finish that work. He'll finish that. If that's you and you've never done that, I'm going to ask you to mark on the back of your connection card that spot that says, for the first time today, I'm giving my life to Jesus. Mark that so I know and come and let me know after the service. We just want to hook you up with a Bible and a book that's going to help you in your relationship with God. But don't leave without letting me know that. Nothing is more important than that today. And then for the rest of us, if you're already saved, here's what I know. I know you're in the deliverance phase. I'm in the deliverance phase. It's that process of sanctification. It's that process of God making us like his son, Jesus. And I want to encourage you this morning because I really believe some of us really need to hear this today. You are who you are becoming. You are who you are becoming. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. That is your identity. That's who you're becoming. 
these mess-ups, these slip-ups, these failures, these sins, those are temporary moments of stumbling. They are not who you are. They are not who you are becoming. The Bible says when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And that word brethren is staggering because it tells us when we get to heaven one day, we will be like the brothers and sisters of Jesus. When people see us in his presence, it won't be like, what is he doing with them? They will look at us and say, they must be family. They must be family. Because we have a deeper relationship than even our bloodlines. He's brought us into his family. That's who we're becoming. So I want to encourage you this morning that God is doing his work. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He's able. He will do it. Just continue to hold on to the Lord. Continue to seek his blessing. Continue to reject the call of the old ways of living because they didn't set you free. They put you in prison. Jesus is the one who set you free. Let's just seek him. Let's seek his ways. You pray, you seek the Lord, you do business with God. Worship God in this coming time. Don't thank God in this coming time for the stuff in your life. Thank him for the fact that he's in your life. That's why we worship. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that you are faithful and the work you began, you will complete. We believe that. We receive that, God, and we stand on that truth this morning. Father, for those of us who have been caught, who have been ensnared in any sin, in the name of Jesus, I pray freedom for every single one of us today. That as you did for Jacob, you would make that sin distasteful. You would make it bitter to us, God. Father, help us to embrace the work of deliverance that you're doing in our life. You're never out to teach us a lesson. You're never out to punish us, God. You are out to set us free. You are in the business of freedom. Help us to embrace the work that you're doing in our lives, to cling to you, to see every difficulty as an opportunity to grow and become like you, God. Thank you for never giving up on us, God. Across the years, across the decades, you never give up on us, God. May we never give up on you. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives, Lord. We love you. It's in your name we pray.